Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back. I got to stop hitting the table. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders. That's me. And the other guy who's in the room with me is Kirk Damon. <laughs> That's Kirk. That's the catch of the enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at LGGPod. I know this time that that's correct because I have my sheet in front of me. Uh, this information is coagulated on our website, www.lggpodcast.com. We are recording together yes. for the first time in over a year in a cavernous, <laughs> empty office with terrible, <laughs> terrible echo qualities. Yeah, with a phone is the microphone and stuff like that. Because, yeah, we are actually in the same room for the first time since, I guess, probably February, February of last year. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah we, uh, we had recorded at the library, I think, was the last one we did. I think we recorded the How to Kill Music Forever episode, <laughs> which was, was at that time our worst quality audio episode episode ever, although we've since uh, eclipsed that mark several times over during the (laughs) pandemic. But we are now both in the office uh, together for the first time. I think we saw each other once during the pandemic. Yeah, we saw each other outside the office once, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we were visiting a client site together to to go see some some beer things. Um, Yeah, and we actually, so this is actually my first day back into the office, my first day working in the office since March 2020. Uh, so that's kind of a weird experience too. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had a meeting today, and I saw Kirk on the camera. I was like, "Oh, he's here!" So we can do this. So it's <laughs> exciting. So uh, so Kirk and I got together uh, really briefly while I was uh, shoving my lunch down my face uh, to figure out what we're going to talk about because we didn't really plan anything. Uh, so we thought we'd just kind of do a, a catch up episode. Since first of all, this is the first time we've been together. Second of all, we don't really have a technology set up. As Kirk said, it's literally my iPhone sitting on a desk between us. Uh, my computer won't start for some reason. <laughs> and uh, you forgot the microphone. And I forgot to bring a microphone, which wouldn't have mattered because the computer won't start <laughs> anyway. But So we're just recording this using the voice memo thing on, on, the, uh, on my iPhone. Uh, so we thought we'd just kind of go through some random things that we've either seen or collected over the last year uh, and just do sort of a, a potpourri, as I would say, in Jeopardy uh, yeah. of, of topics. Um, and uh, ranging from things that happened this week, uh, as of Monday, to stuff that happened last summer and then kind of... I guess, prognosticate about where we're going next. So, Kirk, why don't you start off? What do you got? Um, I have a couple things. I'll start with one that's actually you know, potentially relevant to everything we're talking about and one that's, I think, falling under the limelight now a little bit, but it's something I definitely want to talk about and I think we need to talk about before it falls out of, which was the argument for IP waiver in conjunction with COVID vaccines. Which is still um, going on in certain other countries. Yes. It's still going on. There's still a lot of discussion about you know whether or not there should be IP waivers related to vaccines and stuff along those lines. We just saw this in India. We had a, a deadline yeah. where the Indian Council was like, "Yeah, eh, it's not really due yet. Everything's been yeah. everything's been well, moved this again." Is, this is the yeah we have, we have a lot of sort of IP you know knockouts or things like that. But this is the idea where you've actually got the arguments that said we should waive companies' IP rights in conjunction with their vaccines so that they can be manufactured and distributed more broadly. Um, and for those of you, again, sort of when this episode will air, it was probably about two months ago when this, all of a sudden this became a very big deal in the popular press and was sort of discussed everywhere. Uh, it was really bouncing around and it was because President Biden came out and basically said that he potentially supports it. You know, the United States mm-hmm. would potentially support it. Um, I want to bring it up now because I think it's one of these things where 
the, it's an interesting argument because it seems like the press is kind of missing the issue. Let's start with this issue. Uh, so President Biden said he supports it, but just just to be clear, he doesn't have the legal authority to unilaterally make that decision and waive these rights, or does he? It sort of does, because it's, it's the TRIPS Treaty. So, I mean, it's a treaty agreement. So, I mean, the question with it is, is exactly whether or not we say that this, this TRIPS Treaty is activated. And from my understanding, what I remember from, you know, my civics class in, in law school, the president basically says whether or not we abide by a treaty. Okay. Um, so, I think it's, it's one of those things where he can sort of say, you know, yes, we do, or yes, no, no, we don't. But he hasn't said, hasn't made a decision on that yet. He's not made a decision. He said, you know, it's broadly supported. And I think, you know, one I have to wonder about is how much of that statement was more a, you know, statement of we stand with you than we're actually going to do anything about it, Um, you know, in in conjunction with that. Because the real problem you bump into in conjunction with these IP waivers is a lot of people look at it and say, oh, it means that they won't be able to enforce patent rights. And the vast majority, I think, people were looking at it and said, nobody really has a problem with that. I think that, you know, we're not going to see patent rights enforced, even if companies can. I don't think they're going to be enforcing patent rights. You know, well, looking at this way, in the U.S. at least, uh, it's not like Moderna and Pfizer didn't get paid for all the vaccines yeah. we all got for quote-unquote free. <laughs> exactly. I didn't pay for mine, but that doesn't mean they didn't get paid for me to get one. Yeah, the United States government paid for them all. I mean, they're donating ones now to other countries that are already paid for, you know, because of the fact that they, you know, there's, there's not sufficient demand right now in the United States. And, and sort of stuff like that. But I think what you're seeing with it is the idea that saying we need third parties to manufacture these. We need to increase the manufacturer to harvest the rest of the world and supply stuff for the rest of the world. I think the real concern of what you're seeing here is when we, if we say a general IP waiver, it's not just waiving patent rights. It's waiving all IP rights, such as trade secret and stuff like that. And there's a lot of argument that the real problem here is not that, you know, these companies couldn't make it, you know, if they didn't have patent rights. It's that they simply don't know how, or they don't have the technology, or they have problems in conjunction with the way they manufacture that may say it is not made correctly. And you know, if you're you know one of these patent right holders, one of these IP right holders, you don't have a lot of incentive to go teach another company how to do something that you hold internal as a trade secret. Even if you know, if the answer is if you tell them how to do it, they can use it forever because the IP is waived. It's almost backwards. You know, you want to mm-hmm. say, well, you can tell them how to do it, then they have to stop using it. Maybe you will tell them how to use it. Here's a question. So even if the IP is waived, does that amount to some sort of compulsion or obligation to go explain the trade secret aspects? It's one thing to say we're not going to enforce it. It's another to say you also have to tell people how to do the things they don't otherwise know. Yeah, and I think that's the thing you really bump into is the answer is it's, it's the former and not the latter. You know, there's a lot of argument is it should be the latter, but I think what you're going to bump into is if we try to say it becomes the latter, there's all sorts of incentives to lie. There's all sorts of incentives to misrepresent this, to give people just partial information. You know, it's, you know, and I just have to think, you know, I'm going to pick on my you know, co-host beverage here. You know, he has a Coca-Cola in front of him right now. It's like telling, you know, the president of Coke, you have to give people the formula so they can make Coke for the next year because then they'll stop afterwards. You know, of course, of they, course will. they will. And so, yeah, he's going to give you the formula. No, he's going to change it and give you a formula that's like it, but not quite the same. You know, those are the kind of things you, you look at. Whereas if it was, no, you really have to do it for the good of the world. You have to give him the formula in a year. And at the end of the year, you can sue them all out of existence. He might actually give them the formula. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's one of these where I think the, the press was kind of dodging this issue. They kept talking about patent rights in conjunction with this. And they may not fully understand it. We've talked before about yeah. how the... The popular press, you know, obviously they're mostly not lawyers. They're, they're definitely mostly not IP lawyers. Uh, and a lot of these things are kind of esoteric and hard to get your head around unless you kind of do this day in and day out. And we try and make this stuff as accessible as possible. But even if you listen to our episodes, you know, I, I'll just – as an example, one of our listeners was trying to explain to me a couple weeks ago his analysis of a copyright situation and mostly got it right. And I was like, oh, I guess we did a good job explaining it because uh, <laughs> he figured it out. Um, but – 
you know, the, the, the press is not always going to get these things right. And it's, it's, it's not because they're not trying hard or doing their jobs. It's just hard. You know, the, there's a reason you go to law school for three years. And even then you're barely qualified to practice law <laughs> yeah. because it, it takes a lot to kind of get your head around all these different doctrines and how they interplay and, and things like that. And with IP in particular and patents even more so, uh, I think are particularly inaccessible. And I think this is one where the, the problem you basically got, it's a problem you see commonly in the press, is they've kind of conflated patent with the rest of IP law. Yeah. And said, well, we're going to talk about patents and in this case, the treatment of patents and the treatments of other IP are wildly different. Yes. Um, and, you know, when, when we have sort of the press talking about it and say, oh, this is just a patent issue, and it's not, you bump into the question of it's just how is the stuff being presented. So, yeah, I wanted to raise that one just because I think it's, you know, it would have been very relevant a couple months ago when the, the waivers first happened. But I think it's an interesting issue where all of a sudden the IP got very thrust into the limelight. Which it doesn't usually. Yeah, and, yeah. and all of a sudden... Um, and what we really had was sort of it being thrusting a lot of people talking about it, a lot of people discussing it, but the discussion was almost entirely wrong that you saw. And so that was the reason I wanted to bring that one up is just to sort of talk about the idea that, you know, when you see this kind of discussion of intellectual property in the press, you've got to be careful of the fact yeah. that what they're talking about may not really be the primary issues. Well, and we saw that too with the, the Google v. Oracle case. Um, I actually thought the reporting on that was better than I expected. Uh, but like net neutrality, we talked about that in uh, that episode, that it was really hard to find uh, just a good sort of overview of the law and the issues that wasn't really strongly influenced by the author's obvious feelings about which way it should go. Yeah. Uh, and, and that might be because, you know, it's... It, I, just, just me editorializing is kind of a one-sided issue. It's kind of hard to oppose net neutrality, you know, writ broadly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I couldn't find people talking about the specific regulations or the overall legal framework. Just a lot of, we should have this and anybody says otherwise is wrong without starting with, well, what is this yes, that yeah. we're talking about? So I think with all these things, it's important to be, be critical, curious, and, uh, and careful when you're reading of, uh, of anything you see. And maybe we can get into this. If this develops further, we can do a whole episode just on yeah, this Yeah, and that's, I think right now it's kind, of, it, it's kind of diet as an issue. And again, that's why I kind of like bringing it up right now. Just because this, we should talk about it, it's something we should mention. But this may very well become a sort of non-issue. It may also blow up again. You know, two weeks from now, this may become the most important thing in front page news. Yeah. Um, well, with this so Delta we'll variant everybody's worried about, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, who knows what's going to happen. So, all right. Well, uh, so switching gears, uh, uh, going a little more recent, this last Monday, the Supreme Court, and I guess I should give the date. What is today? Today is the 26th of June, or 24th of June, we're recording June. this. Uh, it's a conference day for the Supreme Court, so they're not doing anything today. But uh, tomorrow they'll be issuing opinions, as they did yesterday and Monday. And on Monday they issued uh, a ruling in NCAA versus Alston. This is a continuation of some cases we've been talking about over the last few years about the amateurism principle in collegiate athletics. Uh, we did a whole episode on how that uh, in, uh, killed the uh, EA uh, college football game and other college games, which uh, a lot of people liked. We like to see them come back. And uh, Kirk, in that first episode, predicted that the states would do something. I said it would be Texas or California. Or, or no, I said Texas or Alabama. Yeah, Kirk said, no, it would be somebody else. And it was California that started all this. Uh, California's law, I believe, goes live here in one week. So, yeah, it's, it, I want to say it's maybe Monday. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. July 1st, I think, theirs goes live. The NCAA has come out and said that even athletes in states that don't have those laws will not be punished for exploiting their uh, name, image, and likeness. Um, but that has not stopped the cases, and uh, this case uh, issued an antitrust ruling that was, I haven't read it yet in detail, I did listen to a brief podcast about it by, uh, um, oh, I forgot his name now, but it's a, a famous sports law guy on Twitter. But uh, anyway, uh, the bottom line is the NCAA got crushed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to read you a quote from Justice Kavanaugh, who uh, did, did not withhold. He said, 
The NCAA is not above the law. The NCAA couches its arguments for not paying student-athletes in innocuous labels, but the labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, you don't want a Supreme Court justice yeah. telling you effectively your industry, your, your business model is illegal. Yeah, so that's a, for your claim that it's not. <laughs> yeah, so the, the NCAA is, uh, is I, I gather, not, I mean, I listen to a lot of sports podcasts Nobody likes the NCAA. Um, and I, I've, I've also wondered uh, if, in related news, this is why the NCAA also recently released its updated college football playoff format, which was much better done than I thought I, than anybody expected it to be. Um, and uh, I wondered if maybe they did that to kind of deflect some attention from, from this because they thought that uh, apparently the oral arguments were not good. And uh, everybody knew this was coming down. And I, I heard one, past, one podcaster predict this would be a 9-0 to decision. And it was. Really, it was 8-0 with one, one uh, concurrent. Yeah. So, you know, this is an antitrust case. It's not about the game in particular, but it does put some pretty heavy shackles on the NCAA as far as what it can do. And we had said, uh, oh, Kirk had said in our prior case, there's more lawsuits to come. There's at least one more lawsuit that's got to (laughs) happen, a couple more dominoes to fall. This may have been it. Uh, So... You know, and not that they can start up right away. There's still some practical issues with getting these license rights from everybody. Um, but we certainly seem to be moving in that direction. And I would expect that, barring some major change, we will see some sort of return to the yeah. NCAA uh, series of video games in the next couple of years, probably. And this one in particular, you know, this actual decision involved a very minor area of laws because they had to do with compensation related to certain educational expenses by the school yeah. itself to us. And that was the place. ruling that they that they have to do that. Yeah, or they can do that yeah. more accurately. Um, and. And the so it's it really has, doesn't have a lot to do with the lightness rights things with it, but to sort of follow the thing, I think what we're seeing with this is we're seeing these dominoes falling, and it's one of these where and I, I remember it, and it's I, I don't remember what class it was, but like somewhere in elementary school, I remember we had the discussion of what's the difference between an amateur and a professional, mm-hmm. and the answer was a professional is paid. That, that's yeah. essentially the difference between an amateur and a professional. And so the argument, when you look at what the NCA is basically saying, is because you can't pay our am- our athletes, they're all amateurs, which is what they're supposed to be. Which is, it's kind of absurd, right? Like the Olympics <laughs> is theoretically an amateur <laughs> competition, yeah. except for, I guess, basketball, hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the major team sports that people participate in. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, those people all have jobs. They, I mean, they don't get paid to compete, but they get a lot of in-kind you know, donations and contributions and things to fund their, their athletic careers. So I, I feel like the amateurism line is, is maybe um, I mean not maybe it is it is kind of arbitrary yeah. and I think uh, what, what's interesting to me I guess more so than anything is that the NCAA was uh, a result of Teddy Roosevelt back in the day saying football's too dangerous do something or I'm going to ban it uh, so the NCAA was formed in the, the first decade of the 1900s so this has been going on for 115 years why, why just now is this bubbling to the surface and the only thing I can think of is what do we always say Follow the money. So, you know, college football has always been popular, but the the price tag over the last 10 to 15 years with the Big Ten Network and the SEC Network, uh, all these sponsorship deals, um, it it has really, I think, increased a lot. And with that has come, I think, an increased spotlight on the inequities. It's one thing to say, you know, we've got a handful of popular schools, but for the most part, these are programs that don't turn a profit, don't do a whole lot for the school. It felt more like a genuine amateur you know, enterprise, but uh, it it doesn't anymore when you've got coaches being paid a million dollars a year, assistant coaches making a million dollars a year and these schools running programs that have budgets uh, in in the nine figures. So Yeah, I think the real thing you're you're bumping into with this, and, you know, quite frankly, I think a lot of it is the NCAA in many respects makes sense when we talk about not football, 
Yeah. You know, it makes great sense for, you know, for men's lacrosse. Yeah. You know, and things like that, you know, where there really isn't, and there's no TV market, it's really is amateur sort of, you know, things like that. And the problem with it is, though, is it's we've got these complete outliers in basketball, in football. Football especially, you know, yeah. Where the, the money is enormous and you've got, you know, I mean, people are famous that are doing this and they're not allowed to be paid. And you, you sort of bump into this and it's like, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. You know, why are these people not professional players? Yeah. And again, I think it's, what you're seeing with this is the, the dominoes falling, you know, in conjunction with it. I think we're going to see this sort itself out in the near future. Yes. You know, there's going to be something that basically comes in. Quite frankly, I kind of look at this and I say, as, as strange as this sounds, I kind of like it, liking it to the arguments over medical marijuana right now or recreational marijuana. You know, once the dominoes start falling, they seem to just keep falling. Yeah, you, you can't really <laughs> unring this bell. And we should be clear, like... There aren't any proposals on the table that I'm aware of for the schools to actually just pay them cash for nothing other than competing. The 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 money is in connection with educational uh, expenses and, and the educational experience. But what what players really want to do is monetize their name, image, and likeness, which is where the the issue with the EA Sports game came from. And uh, that's what a lot of the players are, are saying is not fair that they can't even get money just for doing like a local TV ad or something like that or an endorsement deal. But I, mean, I think even I mean amateur Olympic athletes have been on the Wheaties boxes and all that oh, kind yeah. of stuff so it just it, you know none of it makes sense and I, like I said I think as the inequities have grown in, in the amount of money that's produced and I, you know, we should also say they are getting a free education plus more on top of that yeah that is not nothing I have a child who just graduated from college so that by itself is, is like a quarter million dollars right there uh, worth of value um, so it's, it's not that they're not getting anything. It's, it's really, I think, for the athletes, most of them, I get the impression, are more frustrated with their inabilities to monetize their name, image, likeness while they're in college and it has the most value. Most of them aren't going to go professional. Yeah. So while, while you're the starting you know, left football, uh, left tackle at Iowa, is the, probably, well, not left tackle. That's a bad example. That, choosy, that guy usually goes pro from Iowa. But, <laughs> but let's say... Let's say a wide receiver, <laughs> you know, not likely to go pro from Iowa, um, and, uh, and and is going to get the most mileage out of you know their their reputation and their their uh, personality while they're there. Uh, and if they can't monetize it, or like basketball, it's another good example. So if they can't monetize it, then th- then when? And it, it does seem unfair. They just wait until nobody cares anymore before you can before you yeah, can and, and start the real, doing these things. I think the real thing that a lot of people have had problems with with it is. Everybody around them is making money off of this. Yeah, you know, the school is. Everybody the else are, is. Everybody else is. Are, and they're the ones who are actually performing. They're the ones who are, you know, actually, you know, carrying Doing out the work. job. Um, and so I think that's a lot of the reason why you really sort of get that. And again, it's going to be interesting to see how this falls out. I think you are going to see it fall out, principally around the lightness stuff. What I, what I also potentially said, see coming out of this is finally a recognition that the football players don't go to college for the free education in most cases. You know, when you're talking the high-end schools and sort of stuff like that. Now, there definitely are ones. I mean, I know I had, you know, when I was in high school, we had one of our star basketball players accepted, you know, a a, a, um, scholarship at Georgia Tech. Uh, and took the scholarship at Georgia Tech because they wanted an engineering degree. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and yeah if you can get it, why not? But yeah, I think that's <laughs> right. In, in football, if, if you're good enough to get a Division One football scholarship, you're competitive enough to believe you could make the NFL. So although yeah. most of these guys don't, I mean, the vast majority, that is all they end up getting. At most, is just a free education plus a couple of years of wear and tear on your knees. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, you, you go in with a football scholarship thinking you've got a shot, you know, to, to make yeah, it. And free. you do legitimately have a yeah. shot. I mean, you yeah. have to say we have legitimately have a shot. This is, you know, that is the sort of the weed out level 
homeless, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But again, you know, a lot of them, they're not focused on the education. I mean, we all see the majors when they pop up, you know, and you see like, you know, especially the big name football schools. Yeah. You see the majors of their linemen. Yeah. You know, there aren't a lot of scientists in there. Yeah, a lot of um, our majors that dovetail with, with nutrition science, sports yeah, science, uh, recreation management, things like that. They relate to what they're interested yeah, in. So. Obviously what they're interested in and what they're going to potentially do. But you also don't know if it's something they can really use if they yeah. aren't going to be a football player. Particularly if they can't monetize their likeness as to who they yeah. are. <laughs> like once you get out, what are you going to do for a job? Well, you're probably going to run a gym or a nutrition and fitness center. Like, so there's a lot of job opportunities there where your reputation as a former you know, uh, collegiate scholarship athlete. I mean, we've got a couple of former scholarship athletes here at, at the firm we work at. Uh, you know, that that that's worth something. And yeah. but if if you can't kind of get your name out there while while you're popular and and kind of build that up, it makes it harder for you. So anyway, this is all going in the direction I think Kirk you'd agree. Probably going in the direction it should be going. <laughs> yeah, I think I definitely agree that this thing should be going. As much as you know, I was in the band and didn't like the athletes. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, band scholarships too. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it's. The- but there's no NCAA for music. You know, yeah. you can just go out and you can sell. <laughs> albums you can sell exactly. books if you're an english major or you're still in college <laughs> and so i think it is one of those where it's it, it, this distinction doesn't really make any sense particularly anymore not so now it's yeah. good to see it falling and we'll see where agree. it goes agree okay the next one i've got this is a case that i found last summer we never talked about <laughs> it's, it's kind of an odd one but it hits on something that kirk and i really like to talk about which is the way that all the different ip doctrines kind of get mixed up and muddled up so uh, I've got written down here, Jedi Inc. This is from Peru. Last summer... <laughs> I remember the we were in Peru. You know, yeah, Kirk was in Peru. Peru. years ago. Peru's really into Star Wars. <laughs> yes, they have that whole... Kirk did a whole discussion of, of the, the Star Wars, like... like <laughs> what is it? Like a, it like a valley? Yeah, it was, it was a display. Yeah. Up, yeah. So there's a Peruvian company that filed for the trademark... I think about it, not Peru. Was it? Okay. They filed a trademark for Jedi Company. And if you go Google this company, it's out there. they got a Facebook page. They're still around. Uh, Lucasfilm filed an opposition based on a Colombian trademark registration on The Last Jedi. But they argue that the Peruvian case infringed their copyrights in the words Return of the Jedi and The Last Jedi from the films. Uh, and so Peru's basically equivalent of the trademark office went to its copyright office and said, is the word Jedi copyrighted here? To which their copyright office said, no. The matter has to be resolved entirely on trademarks. So, because effectively it's too short to be copyrighted. Yeah. So, the, the, so the summary I found of this was from, I think, a Peruvian lawyer who said that uh, titles are usually copyrightable. Um, I don't think that's right. It might be copyrightable as part of the overall work, but you generally can't get a copyright just on one word by itself. Yeah, it's, it's, very, short. it's very hard to get a copyright on one word. Yeah. And most of the time, even titles or a phrase are considered too short yeah. um, to get copyright. Generally, a title, a title isn't even trademarkable unless it's part of a series of books. Like mm-hmm. Harry Potter, you can trademark because there's Harry Potter books. Yeah. But you generally can't copyright or trademark just the well, you title. Can, you can in many respects. If it's not like the title. I think a title of a book's a little harder than the title of a motion yeah. picture. Yeah. Because again, I think the motion picture tends to be advertised that way, whereas the book not, isn't necessarily, because again, books all the time, yeah. it's a Harry Potter book, not it's Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those where, you know, there is some, I think, some decent argument. You can say there's trademarks, particularly in famous, well-known yeah. books and things like that. But I mean, I worked on a copyright when I first started uh, practicing that was just two words. You know, and we got, we, tra- we tried to trademark it and bumped into trademark problems. Um, and we were trying to get it copyrighted because the words were both made up. 
So mm-hmm. it wasn't just two words. It was we actually had two made-up words. Which, which, you know, one of the reasons for not being able to copyright titles is they're usually short. Yeah. And, and the, there is the, the two key requirements are originality, which is generally not a problem, mm-hmm. uh, especially with made-up words, and uh, the, the de minimis threshold of creativity. Yeah. And the sort of the general rule is if it's too simple or too short, there's not much creativity involved. But where you have two completely made-up words... Um, I think the argument's a little bit different, especially yeah. if there's an element of cleverness or creativity in how you put them together. And that's what we argued, and we lost at the copyright course, office. Yeah. You know, and they said, no, it's too short. Which the is rare, right? Short. The copyright office doesn't do a lot of substantive examination, but they do some. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's those kind of things where I think what you really bump into with this is you bump into this clash between copyright and trademark where you look at it and say, this is a trademark question. The problem with it is, you know, from the sounds of the explanations given in the background, they don't have trademark protection in Peru, so they have a problem. You know, they have mm-hmm. a trademark in Colombia, but not necessarily the trademark in Peru. And they're trying to deal with the copyright because that's the one thing they can assert because it's automatic. Yeah. But then you have the question of is it copyrightable? <laughs> and so, you know, you've got this sort of massive introduction to it. Most of us look at it and say they probably shouldn't be allowed to have Jedi Corporation for you yeah. know some reason associated with IP, but you can't necessarily say why. So here's the next question would be, well, what are they selling? If Jedi Corporation is uh, a pet food company. Is there any way to Also, Jedi, and I'm gonna I'm gonna draw upon my terrible Spanish here, but the J in Spanish is usually pronounced like the Y in English. Yeah. So, and the E is pronounced like an I. So, wouldn't this be Yidi? Yidi? Like in Spanish, I think it would not be pronounced. Anybody who's a native Spanish speaker, we're sorry. I studied German. Yeah, yeah. I just remember my 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 Spanish teacher in college was from Honduras, and he was always making fun of Chewbacca because Baca in Spanish means cow. So he's like, why is a guy named Chew Cow? So anyway, so I don't know what the status of this is. The company still seems to be around. Uh, and it might be one of these things that goes away because it's a Peru. It's Peru. It's a relatively small market and may, maybe not worth their concerns. It, it may be. But I mean, then again, since this, this court or this, this uh, administrative agency has said it has to be decided based on trademark, if they said deciding on a copyright, I think it'd be easier to walk away from. But with trademark, you kind of have to fight the fight. You kind of got to say it's your trademark. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, presumably they released The Last Jedi yeah. in Peru. I mean, yeah. I have to believe that they did release the movie. But it's also a situation, though, where you, you fight it and you oppose it and you say you can't do that. And, but if the ruling comes back and says, yeah, you can, there's no likelihood of confusion. Well, okay. Well, then yeah. your trademark's not really threatened, is it? Especially <laughs> if the products don't compete. So this is one of those situations where I wonder if, if Lucasfilm isn't just forced to kind of go through the motions of opposing this to say they opposed it and take away some argument by somebody later that they didn't vigorously defend their trademark yeah, and therefore exactly. Jedi's been just absorbed into the zeitgeist, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is more a, not so much to stop these guys, but to stop yeah. the guys in the future. Stop the next stop guy, the more yeah. egregious. <laughs> All right, Kirk, your turn. What do you got? So one of the ones I was going to talk about, and I know we, we talked about this sort of briefly, I've got a whole bunch of video game stuff. Um, so one of the ones I think is interesting is we are starting to see IP cases involving more and more video game properties. And I think I, it's, I going, it's going to keep increasing too. It's going to keep too. increasing. And you know, obviously it's just because the the popularity of video games. It's you know, a bigger I mean, industry than film now. Yeah, it's bigger than film. But we talked about you know the NCAA. That's a video game primarily sort of based thing. But the first one to talk about one of the kids' favorite video game, Roblox. Oh. And it's there's now been some, I some suits filed. I know they're they're sort of I out think there. It's a big class action. That big was class action that involves essentially whether or not Roblox is violating music licensing rules. So I've wondered about this because my kids are much to my chagrin obsessed with Roblox. And if you're not familiar with Roblox, it's sort of it's not really Minecrafty. It's basically a video game development platform uh, where anybody can log in, make an account, and make their own online game that other people can play. 
Yeah. Uh, and you can download assets. You can upload your own assets. And I have seen uh, my kids play these Roblox games, and they're, they're almost uniformly of awful quality, by the way. I don't know why my kids <laughs> like it. Some of them are very good. Yeah, there's a handful that are well, well – you can make a lot of money doing this. People ha- have. Um, but I've, I've seen my kids playing games, and I hear the music coming out of them, and I, I kind of stop and look. I'm like, I know what that song is. It's from Star Trek or Star Wars or something I recognize or a movie or something. And it's, it's clear to me the game has like nine people that play it. There's no way that whatever 12-year-old made that game went out and got the licensing <laughs> rights to this music, which creates all kinds of IP problems. Uh, it, it violates the right of the composition, the public display, the, co- uh, the uh, right to make reproductions and phonographs. Sync rights. Sync rights, for sure. Like, and, and also the, the, the sound recording. If it's streamed, then the sound recording rights are implicated too. So definitely a problem. The thing is... Who's the infringer, right? It's it's <laughs> mostly the the kid that's putting the music on the. Well, and a lot of these, I think, Troy, frankly, in Roblox now are not kids anymore. I think you've got a lot of professional developers that are basically using yeah. this as test platforms and as platforms to, you know, to show their chops to a, an actual yeah. development to, to go join a game company. Wouldn't you say it's like a video game variation of the YouTube problem? The exact it's, same it's thing. It's exactly the same problem, yeah. and and it's and I think that's the interesting thing is what we're seeing is that Roblox has basically supplanted YouTube as the people just want to use music that they own. Yeah. But, you know, our comment with it is, we've said it repeatedly, you don't own music. You know, you that's the whole thing. You never own music. It's all licensed. And so what you're bumping into is you're bumping into all these users looking at it and saying, I just want to use what I own. And that's what they did on YouTube. You know, YouTube, the problem was, I mean, it was the infamous Dancing Baby. Uh, for those of you who remember yep. that, the baby that was danced to, I believe it was a Prince song. Yeah. Um, you know, in conjunction with it. The, the argument was you can't do that because you're syncing dance. With to video. video to, which is video to sound, which is the Prince song. You have to have an individual license. There's no obligated license rates. It's a sync. And, you know, my understanding is YouTube basically dealt with this by settling and developing a license scheme yeah. whereby they They, you know, they basically they implemented a its own sort of private royalty board. board. So basically, yeah. if, you're, if you're a content owner, you can get into YouTube's content ID system. You identify what songs you want them to look for. They use AI to go find the songs that are in people's videos. Uh, and then they give the person who owns the rights a couple options. You can just ignore it. You can have it shut down or you can monetize it where YouTube will stick videos, uh, advertisements in your video stream. Uh, and then the money goes to the artist, not the person who created the video. Uh, I've had a couple of my – I have a little guitar channel. I haven't done anything with it in ages. But I've had a couple of these shut down. Uh, I've, I've noticed uh, – so here's what I can tell you. Paul McCartney is very generous. Paul does not care about how poorly I play Norwegian Wood in my videos. However, Don Henley thinks I'm a terrible human being and will not let me so much as show how I'm learning how to play the solo for... I put on three bars of the, Ho- the Hotel California solo. I'm not even going to hum it here. I'll get this taken down. But uh, Don had that taken down. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, like, which bands do this. Um, so we talked about the Led Zeppelin case uh, last year. Um, you did primarily. I, I did, but you will notice I didn't play any part of the song in the case. I linked to a video where somebody else did because uh, a, a Warner, I think, owns their rights. They've been taking stuff down uh, with Led Zeppelin. I, I don't know why. They won their case. So, um, so you know, the, the range of aggressiveness varies a lot here. But, but to your point with, with Roblox, it's pervasive. And I don't know if that same kind of solution will work there because I don't know how easy it's going to be to go through the video game software and figure out where the music is. Yeah, and I think you've also got a lot of issues of, you know, you've got, I think, 
sort of like YouTube, you've got massive amounts of content, only some of which is really watched a lot. Yeah. But in Roblox, you've got relatively long games and how the, the content loads. You're, almost, you're talking about going through code in some respects. Yeah. Now, that may be easier because they may actually, you know, the Maybe because the files works. get uploaded as yeah. music files separately, right? So maybe they've got those all sitting there and they can just go through them using the same thing YouTube does. I just yeah. don't know how their, how their system works. But yeah, it's one of those things where I, I, I really see, I think the most imp- interesting thing about this Roblox is I really see this as the successor to the YouTube case. Yeah. And quite frankly, I really see the YouTube case as the successor to the cell phone ringtone case, yep. you know, we're just seeing another new and popular technology becoming an issue. The other thing that we really have bumping into a Roblox is this is not just Roblox. We've got issues in conjunction with Twitch. You've got issues yes. in conjunction Twitch with Twitch is the other big one. And Twitch yeah. is, is much more strict about it. I've got a friend that wants to get into Twitch streaming, and he said Twitch is really draconian about how their music and stuff works, which they should be, right? Because yeah. it's, you know. And it's, it's not a bad <laughs> idea, if you're, especially if you're creating original content. And I think it goes to our comments, you know, with it. If you're going to create original content, you know, you're a successful Twitch streamer, hire a musician. They're not expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> get on Fiverr and find somebody. Yeah, and you know, and they will, you know, you will get original music that, you know, in, in some respects is going to meet your needs better. Mm-hmm. You know, so we did with the music for this show. We went yes. found a musician. They've composed the music for this show for us. You go to other podcasts, they all do the same thing. There's a reason why you do it. It's because you get good music. <laughs> yep. And you you're know. compensating an artist. You're contributing to the creative community. And that's, yeah. It's all good stuff. And so I think that that's the thing with it. But I think what you really bump into is when you bump into these sites, which are content created by members, so to speak. Yeah. Not so much by professional content creators, by anything else like that. What you're really bumping into is people just not knowing about what they're doing. And then you've got the platform that just doesn't want to police it, mm-hmm. but is making enormous amounts of money off it happening because that's the business model is to get people to contribute things. Yep. Um, and so you end up in this kind of really weird trilogy of, you know, the rights holders are kind of looking at this and saying, this is legitimately a problem. But nobody else kind of realizes it. Well, and, and what do you do about it, too? Yeah. So I sat in. So there's there's been hearings. I think I talked about this during the pandemic. There was a whole series of hearings by the Senate Judiciary Committee to reform the DMCA. Well, let's start with that. So the DMCA, what, you know, the DMCA would apply to Roblox. It's an online platform. So why wouldn't the music industry just go to the Roblox and say, take this stuff down? And what I learned in those hearings is because it's so pervasive you could set up a team of a thousand people who'd spend the entire day doing nothing but that and paying them to, to deal with all this copyright infringement. But on the flip side, you say, well, what's it costing you? So the 12-year-olds are listening to you know, the Star Wars theme song they've heard a million times. They can listen to it right now on YouTube for free yeah. on Lucasfilm's channel. Or they may, so, or they may even own this CD. Yeah, yeah, so, so you know, it's, it's interesting, the, the whole balance between what's the harm. It's cost a lot to police, but what's it, what's it cost you to not police? Uh, and, and I know Congress, uh, uh, some draft legislation, was proposed by Senator Tillis, I think. I forget who. Um, on, on how to deal with this. Uh, I participated in a working group to provide our comments on, on how to simplify and streamline these things. But there's also the, the CASE Act. They have the, the uh, Small Claims Board uh, coming up later this year or next year, too. It may, uh, especially for individual artists, be used to resolve some of these things. But the, I think, uh, to Kirk's point, the scale uh, yes. on which this happens, and Roblox is an enormous platform, uh, is, is just unmanageable. And I, you know, we, we obviously we're IP lawyers. We talk to content uh, and, and right holders a lot. Uh, I would be nervous too, having yeah. this much lack of control over my stuff, and just you know, may- maybe we don't feel so bad for Disney because they've got the wherewithal to protect themselves and, and, and a revenue stream. Yeah. But if I'm you know Bill Smith down the street and I'm one of the guys that is on Fiverr trying to sell my, my musical services, and someone just throws my stuff on the internet and, and I lose control over it, then you know how do you, how do you survive that way as an artist? Yeah, I think the thing you're really getting into you know in conjunction with 
some of this, the, the scale and the magnitude and the stuff that's coming out of this as well is it's, you know, it, it's the sheer scale of Roblox compared to other things and the magnitude of it. I remember I, I went to a presentation, this is probably 10, 15 years ago, and as part of the presentation, one of the things they commented about is they said, if you took every minute of content <laughs> that has been broadcast on broadcast TV in the United States since broadcast TV started, so basically, you know, take the major three networks plus Fox when it comes in, you know, as broadcast TV, you take all that content, all that video, and you calculate it out in gigabytes as to how much it is. That much content is uploaded to YouTube every six and a half minutes. <laughs> it's nuts. You know, and so it's like a thing we later, like, that's insane. And I remember, like, there's a, there used to be, I don't know if the app still exists, there was an app that you could actually download, and what it would play for music is it would go to, I think it was Pandora, one of the Yeah, we've the talked sites, about this. And it would play music that had never been played before via Pandora, and then it would probably delete it from its own memory yeah, so nobody could ever play it through that again. <laughs> they had to actually you know, physically go There's get probably, it. I mean, I can just tell you from the handful of videos I've uploaded, nobody finds them. I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not a YouTuber, but mm -hmm. I only put them there so I have a place to put them so I can share them with family and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you wonder how much of that kind of content's out there. I mean, there's a whole section of YouTube that's not even publicly accessible. I mean, the scale of what we can see is big enough. And Roblox, I think, is, is you know, but the bottom line is video games, even more so than YouTube, implicate a lot of complicated issues. And one we haven't even talked about yet, with Twitch streaming, where do the Twitch streamers get the IP rights <laughs> to stream what they're streaming? Yeah. And we've, we've kind of theorized, and maybe we'll have somebody look into this at some point, but we, we've theorized that the screenshots and the streams of the games that are created by the streamers the copyrights to those, there's an argument to be made it belongs to the streamer based on the monkey selfie case, where although somebody else set up the conditions and the technology and everything else for that particular video to exist, they didn't pull the trigger. They didn't play the game. They didn't go in there and decide when to take the picture. They didn't arrange the components. Uh, so I think there's a, and we've talked about like Minecraft is basically a really elaborate three-dimensional pixel editor, you know, yeah. uh, which is in some sense what it is. Uh, but with, with, with Twitch, I think that argument exists out there that if, if, if nothing else, it's arguably a fair use maybe, but that would be an interesting topic for us to explore think, uh, in more detail someday. I think Twitch is also one of those, when it comes to video games, the, the reality is the successful Twitch broadcasters for any game yeah. are effectively going to be licensed and supported by the game man. Yeah, the there's probably a lot of that. And even if not, what, what do the games have to stand to gain yeah. by shutting down Twitch streams of people who want to learn how to play the game? Yeah, and again, I think a lot of those in particular, again, the ones who are really famous, you know, they, they're effectively licensed. You know, yeah. there, there is some form of a license. Some of them are there. sponsored even. Yeah, sponsored, you know, sort of things like that. That basically says, we're okay with this. You know, and, and the real thing behind that is that they're protecting their rights against everybody else. You know, they're fine with what those people are doing because they're so famous. What you bump into is the Twitch gamer, you know, Twitch streamer who says, I want to be a Twitch gamer, starts posting it up yep. and has no followers. You know, is that a, is that a you know, violation or not? Um <laughs> All right, so uh, the last thing, I don't know how much time we have here. Kirk's got to go here in about 15 minutes, so we're going to try and get through a couple more things here. Uh, Star Trek, uh, this is another case from 2020 uh, called Abdin versus CBS Broadcasting. Uh, I just found this. This is kind of interesting. Uh, um, Kirk, did you watch any of the first season of Star Trek Discovery? Uh, part of it, yes. I've watched, I think, just the first episode. Okay. We watched part of it when we had, we had Paramount yeah. for a while, and it's, I think it was, yeah, it's Paramount. Uh, and we watched part of it, and I have to admit, 
I liked it. I just didn't want to have another streaming service in the house. Yeah, that's kind of what happened. <laughs> we watched the first couple episodes. We were thinking, you know, it's not it's not bad. It's not really Star Trek. Like, it's not what I want out of Star Trek. But, you know, slap, slap another name on it. It's still entertainment. So I, I kind of I, I enjoyed it. Well, anyway, uh, this lawsuit arose out of Discovery. Um, the plaintiff uh, made a video game. I don't know how to pronounce this. What do you call this creature? The the, the tar- tar- grades? The, no idea. What those are? So they're the little cute microscopic bug things that can survive in space. Like they can survive in a vacuum. And it, it's T-A-R-D-I-G-R-A-D-E-S. If you just Google it, if you see a picture of it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It looks like a, a giant, fat, microscopic little pig. Um, I think, didn't, isn't there some of the Chinese lunar rover? Uh, probably, yeah. I think there's some of the Chinese lunar yeah. rover. I think they launched some to the moon and let them have them be on the moon. They're practically indestructible. Uh, anyway, this this guy, the, the plaintiff Abdon, made a game called Tar- Tardigrades. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, set in the year 20,000 BC, where you use technology to explore space, travel to other planets, encounter aliens, etc. And one of the characters is a giant blue Tardigrade. Uh, and, uh, you know, this guy posted about it uh, after he released the game in 2014. And then uh, in 2018, he registered his copyright. Well, then Star Trek Discovery premieres in 2017. And one of the key plot points in the first season is a giant charger grade named Ripper, uh, who is a part of the plot. And eventually they were able to use him to explore this uh, fungal spore space network. That's the point where they kind of lost me in that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I made it that far. So. Uh, anyway, so uh, you know, shenanigans ensued. There was a lawsuit filed against CBS over this. And the plaintiff alleged that they had stolen the idea from him and infringed his copyright. So uh, the case went up to the Second Circuit, which was looking at the question of whether uh, Star Trek Discovery was infringing on the, quote, constituent elements of the work that are original, end quote. Uh, which is interesting because, um, by implication, they're discarding the parts that are not. And that's and that's basically what the court did. They basically said, you know, the fact that charger grades can survive in space is known. Uh, that idea is a scientific fact. It's not copyrightable. You can't copyright yeah. facts. Uh, and there's really no similarity of appearance between the two expressions of a giant space tardigrade. Um, and then everything else between the two is uh, sans affair. It's all stock sci-fi stuff. Spaceships, aliens, travel, adventure, exploration. That's what I've done. So the court uh, said, you know, there's, there's really the only similarities are in things that you can't protect. Uh, really, everything in here is, is, is not really protectable as, uh, as a concept. It's just a particular expression, which isn't the same. So um, you know, th- that all kind of went according to uh, how you'd expect. The part that caught my attention, though, was that the court said that the, quote, total concept and feel, end quote, of Discovery is different from the video game uh, because the game takes place in 20,000 B.C., but Discovery is part of the Star Trek storyline set in the future. So it's... It's as close as I've seen to a tacit admission that Star Trek gets special treatment <laughs> because it's Star it's, Trek. It's, I sort of seen that way. The, the thing that I think is interesting about it is it's it basically comments that Star Trek is <clears throat> Star Trek, and since this is Star Trek, something which is not Star Trek, though similar, is not the same under copyright. Yeah, and that's bizarre because as we just said, Discovery's not other than bearing the name. What is Star Trekish about yeah. Discovery? Well, you got the, the Federation. You got, I mean, you, yeah, you've got you've got the the sto- look of the universe. Yeah, the, the story, the, the 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 setting elements are there, but the concept and feel of Discovery is not Star Trek. If if I took the label off of it and showed you that and showed you Next Generation, I mean, first of all, people these days would be bored to tears by Next Generation, <laughs> and, and and when they're not laughing at the terrible special effects. Um, 
But, you know, we, we talked about this in a prior episode. The concept and feel of Star Trek has changed a lot in yeah. the last 20 years. Uh, the J.J. Abrams reboot completely redid it as it's Star Trek but Star Wars style. It's all space action adventure and less of the sort of uh, slow-moving, plotting, yeah. methodical philosophical it's it's definitely not star trek the motion picture you know we're not, we're not doing that again um so it, you know it's it's interesting that uh that that's what they focused on when the concept and feel of discovery isn't really star trekish yeah. but i guess it is by definition because it is a star trek property and that's the direction they're going in so it, it feels like we have a moving target with with star trek the uh, thing that i think is really interesting about the concept of look and feel of star trek is what is the a federation starship and if you go back to you know star trek the original or star trek the next generation they're effectively colonization ships. I mean, that's kind of the idea. You know, they're supposed to be full of people. There's an enormous amount of crew on board. And the idea is you're simply watching the captain because they're responsible for the lives of all these people mm-hmm. that are doing that. In the original one, it's this kind of, hey, it's space exploration. We're supposed to go out. We're supposed to meet new people. We're supposed to interact with things. We're supposed to gather science. They kind of stuck with that in the next generation. But you kind of start getting these larger plot lines of the idea of, like, war is brewing. Yeah. But then you get things like, you know, and I get advertised for it all the time on video games, you get Star Trek battles. That's warships. These are not ships designed for scientific exploration. It's how big are their weapons, how strong are their shields. These are warships. And so you kind of bump into the idea that's like, wait a minute, the Federation is not warships. Like, you know, you've got nine seasons of Star Trek where the Federation is not supposed to be warships. And now you're starting to get Deep Space Nine. But you kind of then get into this stuff where it's like, now it's Star Wars. These are warships. This is, you know, a, a battle thing, you know, this is sort of what it is. This is all about conflict. It's not about space exploration. It's not just about discovery, as much as it may be called discovery. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's, I really think there's an interesting question there of, again, what is Star Trek? You know, and what sort of has, has caused Star Trek? Where does Star Trek go? And how much of it do you bump into? And it's the comment I made when I talked about it in one of our prior episodes, my universe, you know, paper. How much does it matter that you say it's Star Trek versus you saying it's Star Wars, even if the plots are effectively identical, mm-hmm. versus you saying it's, you know, you know, John's adventure in space, you know, and that kind of thing. And you bump into this kind of, is there some kind of a special status conferred because it's something we associate with Star Trek, something we associate with Star Wars. Well, additionally, should the concept, I mean, they said the concept and feel is different, but elsewhere in this decision, they said you can't copyright the concept. So what difference does it make if the concept's the same or not? And then the feel... That's a trademark thing, not really a copyright. The trade dress, thing. almost. I mean, we did that in our very first yeah. episode. You know, yeah. So like, I guess you might. I mean, I wouldn't say feel so much as the aesthetic. You know, is maybe protectable. We talked about this. You're right in our Rogue One episode, our very first one. I can give you a still frame from something from either Star Trek or Star Wars, not tell you which one it is, and you can probably guess. Yeah, you know, 90% even exactly. without any obvious aliens or any like iconic imagery, <laughs> you can probably guess which one it is. No green skinned yeah. aliens. Likewise, <laughs> I could probably give you Blade Runner. You know, I could probably give you Alien. Uh, and you can, you can tell me, oh, I know what that is. It, it, it looks like it. So there is an element of the aesthetic that probably merits some copyright protection, but I don't think the aesthetic itself is yeah. still just a concept, right? Somebody else can make an original copyrightable work in that aesthetic without infringing. Yeah. At least that would be my argument. The one I'm going to think is really interesting here in the aesthetic, and I'm going to go into it in just a second with it, where I think the aesthetic is going to get really interesting, and quite frankly is going to get really interesting in the course of the next few years, Avatar. Mm-hmm. Because I think most of us would look at it and say, Avatar has a very clear aesthetic. It's one movie, mm-hmm. you know, plus a theme park. Uh, now, the theme park is the, is the aesthetic from the movie. It's, it's one movie. Yeah. And so you really get into this thing, and it's the, you know, when you talk about the idea of something's not going to look and feel, 
well, doesn't our video game also have a look and feel? Yes. It's one video game because we can look at it and say, Star Trek does. Yeah, it's, you know, 30 seasons worth of things. But again, we look at Avatar and say, Avatar does, and it's one movie. So wh- where do we make this idea of, like, what is look and feel and stuff like that? What does it take so, to establish that? To, like, yeah. to own – can, well, can you own those rights in, in the aesthetic? You know, so, so let's, let's talk about Avatar for a second. How would you describe the aesthetic? I, I, the same way I always say with it, it's, I remember it's really for the theme park. Anybody who's been to the, the Pandora theme park at, at uh, Animal Kingdom in Florida, if you haven't, you go there, go. It's, it's incredible. So much of it is this idea of the, the glowing nature. The bioluminescence, the bioluminescence right? Bioluminescence. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of that being peaceful. Yeah. Um, and it is. It's got a very peaceful feel, which is interesting because if you think about bioluminescence in our world, bioluminescence is almost always a lure for extreme violence. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, except fireflies. <laughs> except fireflies. And yeah, it's a mating call occasionally. Um, but it's not the idea of calmness, which is what you really get from Avatar. Is the bioluminescence is really this idea of calm? And it is when you're in Pandora and the sun sets and you see the stuff coming out. It's just a very calm, beautiful place to be. Um, and so it's that's like what I, I call the aesthetic is this idea of bioluminescence, but bioluminescence being a very calming, beautiful thing, mm-hmm. as opposed to being a lure, you know, again, which it is a, sort of a mating yeah. call, which it is, you know, in conjunction with things, which you know have a more you know arguably violent nature. Well, not to mention being omnipresent. I mean, in Avatar, everything yeah, glows, everything and is. bioluminescence is relatively rare in in our world. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so that, I mean, that's an interesting concept. So, but. I could go make something else that has the same kind of look and feel. I'm sure there's stuff out there, people who have, uh, and not not literally infringe the copyright. But then the question is, what have I stolen? Just the idea of a highly bioluminescent world? I mean, should James Cameron, that's who made that, right? Should he get to own that? I mean, I, I would say no, not the idea. Yeah, you'd say no, sort of know the idea, but then it kind of bumps into this, well, what are they saying is the concept of Star Trek you know, versus somebody else. Yeah. And again, what I'm looking at more is it's the, okay, if we say there's a concept of Star Trek, then there also should be a concept behind this video game, you know, the, you know, the, yeah. this 20,000 BC video game involving you know, tiny space cows um, that have grown to enormous sizes. Yeah. The, you know, wait, that should have its own concept and isn't that concept what's violated by Star Trek? Yeah, so isn't, isn't his concept basically not protectable because... I mean, he's, he's little. He's not Star Trek. He's not Star Trek. He's little, and Star Trek's not. And the Star Trek aesthetic came first, even though this particular one didn't. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 an interesting discussion. And just as a side note, a lot of these properties that are famous, Star Wars, Star Trek, their look and feel is borrowed from other things that came first. George Lucas was famously very influenced by by Japanese cinema, for example. So yeah. um, you know, a, a lot of these things also have their own tone. Uh, taken from somewhere else. And that's kind of where we get to, uh, we always look at a sort of a, a spectrum of copyright infringement. You've got on one end flagrant ripping off, which is clearly copyright infringement. On the other end, you've got homage, which is <laughs> which is borrowing but not copying. And, and it's respectful and encouraged and part of you know growing up in the, in the uh, artistic industries. But nobody thinks twice about it. And somewhere in between, you've got fair use and, and you know, things yeah. like that. So... Um, they're, they're really difficult questions, which, which I think makes copyright endlessly fun to talk about and also provides us with endless <laughs> podcast fodder. Yeah, and that's, I mean, how many times do we end this podcast on copyright, which is the thing we're going to do today, and essentially an open question of copyright. I think that's the thing with, you know, it's what it is. And that's, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this kind of potpourri episode, you know, and the stuff that we've been talking about is the variety of things. But you probably also noticed some common themes in these. You know, like we commented about 
Video games are a common theme in here. We're going to be talking about that a lot because yeah. there's going to be keep being a lot of issues come up because it invokes every type of IP in, in a way that few yeah. other forms of entertainment do. And that was one of the things we did is to talk about this episode, you know, is this is our first episode back together. What are we going to see in the future? And I think it's, you know, what we're going to see in the future coming down from this and this podcast and stuff like that, we're going to see a lot more stuff associating with video games and stuff in video games creating the new issues. And I think copyright, too. I mean, historically, there's not there's not usually a ton of copyright litigation. It's kind of the... If, if you're in IP, patent is where all the action is. Yeah. And if you ever look at, like, you know, how much copyright lawsuits cost and are worth, it's it's sort of the, the ugly redheaded stepchild within IP yeah. itself. The copyright office is not even part of the executive branch. It's managed by Congress. They don't care. They don't fund it very well. <laughs> um, so it's it's kind of been off on the side. But as video – I think it's becoming more and more important with the software industries growing up and um, and just the, the amount of time it lasts. I think we're seeing copyright is going to expand and cover more and more things which may also be part of what motivated the, the fair use holding in the Google v. Oracle case. It's a kind of cabin that and not let it not, not let the, the scope creep too much. Yeah, and I think that that's what we're going to see a lot of. And it's going to be interesting to sort of follow this because I think the biggest problem you got with copyright, and it's you know, speaking as somebody who does primarily patent work, the problem you get with copyright is copyright has made a very interesting bed over the course of the last really few years. And they're now kind of being forced to sleep in it with a whole new batch of technology. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's really kind of this weird scenario where copyright was made big quick and is now having the problem that it's it's almost not big enough. Yeah. But at the same time, it's too big. And it's how do you deal with these kind of things with it? Whereas I think patent and trademark have grown much slower and you know, trademark is still very behind the times in many respects. I mean, we talk, we joke about the trademark office still assumes products are sold the way they were sold in the 1950s. They don't understand products are sold via the internet, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in the way they treat specimens and things like that. And so, you know, you, you have this kind of very slow moving progress on those two sides. Whereas copyright has been forced to grow very fast after already growing very fast. It's had to respond to a lot of technological change. And someday, someday I'll talk about my music article, which basically chronicles all the things in copyright that have been changed just to keep up with technology. You haven't seen that with the other forms. Patent law has not really had to change that much to keep up with technology, not yeah. from a legislative perspective at least. So yeah. I think that's a good place to end it. So we'll wrap this up. Uh, going forward, we don't have concrete plans. Uh, we might we might go back and redo have our, our original that before? We might go back and redo our original plan for 20 2020 that got thrown in the trash bin three months in. But I do think we want to do maybe a little bit more of a dive into the NCAA decision. Uh, so we, we may do an episode on that. And I might do a, a rewind to kind of uh, bring together all the different conversations we've had about that over the couple of years and talk about you know where we see that going as far as how it will affect video games and things like that. So that, that may be coming. And then we'll, uh, we'll have more details about the rest of the year uh, after that. So in the meantime, check out our website, lggpodcast.com. It has links to the various platforms where you can download our prior episodes. Also, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and by email. Subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to us on the platforms, all of them. It gives, uh, give us a review. That helps new listeners find us. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Benjamin Siders. You can find Kirk at Kirk DMN. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Lorem, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri.